Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So I'm off to Germany where the Bucks are going to play the Seattle Seahawks later today. I'm uh, going to catch a plane through Charlotte to Munich. The Bucks leave on Thursday. They arrive on Friday. It takes you uh, with the time difference. Um, you know, you kind of get there the next morning. So looking forward to that, uh, being in uh, a new country and uh, seeing the fervor over there. Some 3 million um, requests for tickets to a 60, 67, 68,000 seat stadium. So it should be pretty interesting the bucks go back to work they get begin their preparations for a really good seattle team that surprised everybody with geno smith at quarterback um you know just been really lights out for pete carroll and their defense and a, a really good running back too so we'll talk more about that as the week goes on um tom brady's going to speak on friday he usually speaks on thursday but he'll be speaking on friday in munich so we'll have that for you um as well in the tampa bay times and on tampa bay.com kind of a neat uh thing going on in Bel Air, which uh, is just out here uh, a little bit to the coast, to the west of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tiger Woods, the match that has uh, been held annually uh, now, I think uh, this is like, what, the eighth one, Steve, or something like that? Seventh. Seventh one. Um, pretty interesting. Uh, they're going to do it uh, with Tiger and Rory going against Dustin... Justin Thomas and Jordan Thomas Spieth. and then Jordan Spieth. So... That's that's a power-packed uh, little group there. But there's no attendance in this thing, right? Or is there? Well, there's no tickets available to the public, no. it's yeah. uh, So it'll be held on December 10th. Of course, it's at the Pelican Golf Club, which is hosting the Pelican LPGA Championship this week. This week. So uh, if you're a golf fan, go out there this weekend and, and see, see the, the course. course yeah. and, and great golfers there. I know Brit- Brittany Lincecum is playing for the first time uh, since coming back after having her baby. So a uh, oh, local, wow. local girl doing well, of course, in, on the LPGA Tour. So. Uh, but yeah, yeah, the match number six, and it's going to raise money for Hurricane Ian relief efforts. So, yeah, it's a pretty cool event. Um, Brady does it his in the summer usually with uh, another quarterback or two or three or four. Last time um, that they played it, so uh, just in our backyard. So kind of cool. We've got our mailback questions today. Plenty in store for you there in just a minute. But first, want to remind you to uh, start saving some money on your energy costs. You can do that by calling our folks at May Electric Solar. They're a family-owned and operated business. They've been installing these solar electric systems for a dozen years now. Uh, There's a lot of these companies out there, but May Electric Solar is committed to you for the long term. They prove it by guaranteeing their workmanship with a 30-year labor and services warranty. Something goes wrong, boom, they're back out there. They're fixing it. Plus, with every installation, you get $750 worth of surge protection for all your appliances. So right there, that's the May difference. If you visit their Hudson showroom, May Electric displays all their products. They conduct on-site testing. You can see exactly what they're installing, how much energy you need. They'll base it all on that. Plus, you don't use they don't use subcontractors. Those guys up there uh, on the roof putting all that in, they're actually Billy May's guys. You know who's doing the job. Start saving today. Call the solar energy experts, May Electric Solar, at 727-819-2862. You can schedule a free estimate. You can lower your electric bill. Uh, and improve the quality of your life and that of your appliances. You can preserve those as well. Call May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. 
All right, we got plenty of mailbag questions today. I'm sure there's probably a couple on the Bucks. Let's get started. Yeah, we'll start with the Bucks. And Jimmy had tweeted. So the crazy thing about the Bucks, if you had told me after nine games the Bucks would have beat Dallas and New Orleans on the road, beat the LA Rams, what would be their record? Seven and two, eight and one. Maybe Tom Brady found him a baby Gronk, or maybe Scotty Miller left witness protection. Yeah, it's it's true. It's it's kind of funny because we we did the whole you know schedule thing. You got win, win, and all that. Um, I really believe that the the first four games was the gauntlet, you know, and and they I, I said at the time if they won two of those, you'd feel okay about it. It wasn't though the way it, it should have gone. They won the two that were probably some of the harder games. Um, not that Kansas City was easy, but. Uh, you know, basically, you go on the road road on opening night, and you and you handle Dallas pretty pretty well, even though you didn't finish but one drive in the red zone with the touchdown pass to Mike Evans, kind of a circus catch, even on that. But it's a sixteen point win. Your defense was lights out. They allowed just a field goal against the Dak Prescott in that offense, and so you come out of that thinking, okay, all right, these guys they got a little they got a little swag. They you know they get better on offense. They're you know. That defense looks like it's elite. And uh, then you go to New Orleans and you got your nemesis there that you've lost six or seven in a row to in the regular season at least, except for the the year that you went to the Super Bowl, which was the big one. And then you you put it on the Saints pretty good. And the defense, again, gets a bunch of turnovers. You're saying, all right, all right. They they beat the bully and and that's the team in the NFC South. So now they got a game on them. They're 2-0. And at the time, all the pundits are saying, yeah, man, Buccaneers, probably best team in the NFC. But there were flaws, even in those games. The offense was not doing what it needed to do. They ran the ball really well against the Cowboys, 127 yards um, for Leonard Fournette. You know, since that game, he's had about 200 and something yards the entire um, next seven games. I mean, think about that. Uh, Just brutal production uh, for Leonard Fournette. So everything, you know, kind of went south in a hurry. They lost five out of six. Um, three in a row, and then they finally break that streak, which what was not an impressive uh, victory. It was a dramatic victory. It was a, it was a good finish to a game because Tom Brady was was Tom Brady driving him sixty yards in you know thirty and what thirty eight thirty nine seconds uh, to get the win. But the problems are still there. They still can't run the football. They don't have many rushing attempts. He's still throwing it way too many times. He's still throwing it way too quick. Um, you don't really have a great third option at receiver, although Scotty Miller did some things down the stretch, also dropped the touchdown pass. So really, you know, if you can build the mo- so you know, get some momentum off a win, you, you feel better about yourself, but, but it's really just a little bit of, of, uh, of makeup, if you will, because there's still, there's still tons of blemishes, uh, you know, with this team. And I, I just, you know, I, I don't know those problems are going to be gone by the time they, they get to another country. I don't think it's going gonna, it's gonna to go like that. And Seattle can expose them because they have a really good defense. They run the football really well, um, and they're doing enough on offense to score points and winning a very tough division in the NFC West. So two division champ or division leaders, I should say, going out there um, to Germany should be an interesting game, but – I'm with you. I would have thought that they would probably, if you told me that they beat those three teams in the beginning of the season, not knowing what I know now, I would agree. I'd say that well, they probably got they probably got seven, seven, six or seven wins easy. All right, Phil had tweeted us. He said, "If you had to pick one player to represent the Bucks in the Pro Bowl right now, who would it be and why?" 
Is it Jake Camarda? Well, I mean, Camarda's definitely a candidate. He's going to win special teams player of the week. Uh, I don't know if he'll win player of the month. It seems like, you know, if you're a special teamer, you almost have to do that. I think Ryan Suckup, if you want to talk about special teams, he should be right there too. I mean, this guy has missed, uh, you know, two field goals. One was blocked. They leaped over uh, the offensive line. Bobby Wagner did and didn't touch anybody. That that just simply can't happen, but that wasn't on Ryan Suckup per se. But he's been he's been phenomenal. So those two guys, those two specialists, definitely deserve uh, plenty of consideration. For me right now, uh, I think Antoine Winfield Jr., even though he missed the last game with a concussion, has played the most consistent football. He's been kind of a game wrecker. He's, he's filled up a stat sheet like nobody else on defense in terms of interceptions and forced fumbles and tackles for losses and things like that. Now he's got to come back and continue that um, if he uh, and he should be able to play, I think, in Germany against Seattle. And Vita Vea, look, by the end of the year, you're going to see a defensive tackle with, with double-digit sacks, and that is rare in this league, and it's even more rare here in Tampa Bay. I think probably Gerald McCoy is the last guy to do that many, many years ago. So to, to think that Vita Vea, um, you know, can can make that sort of impact as a pass rusher, we know he's pretty stout against the run. It's hard to move him inside, and that's been one of the reasons why the Bucks have been good against the run, not as good this year. Um, but, yeah, those those three guys. And then, you know, on offense, I, I, I think Tristan Wirfs is still one of the elite right tackles in the league. Um, I don't know that he's having as good a year this year as he's done in the past. He's got somebody new to new. Next to him, obviously, um, you know, and, and Shaq Mason. So uh, he'll get consideration because I think he was all pro last year, and, and that, you know, your reputation sort of follows you after that. I don't think he's played bad. I just, I just don't, frankly, think anyone in the offensive line has stood out very much. So I'm not sure if he would make it or not. And then, you know, the GOAT, obviously, people will vote for him. He's going to end up leading the league in passing yards and passing attempts and his touchdown inter- interception ratio he's only thrown one pick all year uh while he hadn't thrown a lot of touchdowns so that that's in his favor too so there's there's a handful of of, of bona fide pro bowl candidates uh, but if you pin me down and said one guy one guy you think deserves it at this point in the season i'd say antoine winfield jr all right richard email us he says is it possible we've seen the last of Shaq barrett in a bucks uniform unless he takes a pay cut it would be tough since he was a big part of the d that was dominant but he also has a big price tag coming off an Achilles tear at his age with zero guaranteed money left on his deal. Also, is there a chance Brady doesn't come back next year that we start seeing older guys let go like Shaq and Evans and Levante David and a possible rebuild ensues? Thank you. Yeah, you know, I I think at some point you're going to have to see a pivot uh, that way. You know, they, they have they have maxed out the credit card, you know, and unless you want to pay a big interest fee, i.e., not being able to sign any free agents for years and years, um, you're going to have to start pivoting towards younger players, I, which means cheaper players, right? Guys on, under their rookie deals. And so your team's going to get younger. It'll get way younger when Brady drops off because he's 45, but your team will start to get younger. And some of these free agents that you've sort of dragged along, the Leonard Fournette's, the Shaq Barrett's, uh, uh, you know, Ryan Jensen is locked up for two more years, so he's not going any place. And that's part of the deal is that, you know, they locked up some of these guys. But Levante David is on a one-year deal. There's a number of, of older players um, that, that could fall out here and probably need to. Um, but as far as Shaq goes, if, if memory serves, I have to look this up. I, I know he doesn't have any guaranteed money next season. The problem is, is that 
you borrowed from him, uh, added some avoidable years at the back end, and I think that he has a fairly large uh, dead money uh, on the salary cap. So whether he plays or he doesn't play, you're going to end up paying for him. Um, the bigger question is sort of what's his health going to be, right? Like um, when you tear your Achilles, it's a nine-month injury. And I mean, like you're not – I think the first three months you might not be able to put any weight. Um, you're running around in a scooter on that thing. There's a lot of atrophy in your in your thighs and your legs that you have to build back up. I mean, we watched O.J. Howard struggle to come back from that injury probably a little bit worse maybe for for a tight end than an offensive lineman because you're talking about speed and pushing off. But listen, those guys are getting shoved on by 350-pound dudes, so you know, you're going to have to hold up in that area and I I'm not sure, you know, with with a an edge rusher um that relies on explosiveness if that if he's got any trepidation at all, you know, with that Achilles it may take him a year just to just to get back to you know feeling himself and forgetting about the injury. So it's a long way of saying I don't know. I think he'll probably be back for one more season, but beyond that, I don't know. But but they're absolutely right. It is there's no guaranteed salary. There's just a big dead cap money figure, and if you're going to pay it anyway, um, the thought is you might as well have the use of the players. So. Um, but I would I would say probably one more year after that uh, he'll be he'll be like 32 years old, so you're, you're probably getting a little long in the tooth. You need to draft his replacement here pretty soon. I was just looking it up. I think his dead cap hit next year is 23 million. Yeah. So that would that would indicate to me that he's probably back unless you know unless you just don't think he can play. I mean, you know, if he can't help you, then you know there's no no sense in in throwing good money after bad. But I. Uh, you're going to pay for me the way. Matt had emailed us. He says, can you settle something for us? Who calls the plays on offense, Lefty or Tom? Well, it's Byron Leftwich, but uh, that's with a big asterisk. And that is because Byron and, and Tom are lockstep in game planning. Um, I know that Byron gets in there at 3 o'clock in the morning, and, and he's doing all the scripts, and he's you know doing the heavy lifting in terms of looking at film and um, you know, trying to match the the opponent's defense with what the Bucks do the best. Uh, you know, in in those particular uh, looks that 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 the team that they're playing may give them. So he does the initial work. He does all the film study. He you know does the scripts in practice. Like here's here's our best plays. You know, on you know second and seven. Here's our best plays on third and short. Here's our best plays on first down, first down runs, first down passes, uh, red zone. Um, you know, two yard line, like all those scripts and things have to be done by the coaches. Tom's not going to stay up and do those. But once once that is sort of presented to Tom, then you know, talk about the red marker. Then then it comes. You know, it's Brady's input that matters the most because he's played more football, he's seen more football than Byron has. Uh, he knows himself better than anybody. What he wants to do. So I think we're naive to look at any play sheet that Byron Leftwich is held responsible for and say that Tom's fingerprints aren't all over it because they are. Now, does that mean that, you know, he's baking the cake exactly the way Tom wants him to? I mean, I can give you all the ingredients, but if you got to mix them in the bowl and put them in the oven, it may come out a different way. So I think there's a lot of nuance, you know, to, to how 
the game goes. Like there's adjustments, right? You you think you're going to get one thing with this this particular defense, and you get something different. And so, you know, there's a lot of a lot of back and forth during the game, trying to figure out you know the best way to attack and what maybe they're doing differently than you saw on film. And so all of that has to kind of be, you know, sort of a collaboration. And it, it is it is a collaboration throughout the game, you know. Um, but again, there's a part of me, Byron's really getting a lot of heat and, and that's just the nature of the job. If you're a play caller and your team's not scoring points, they're going to point to the offensive coordinator. That comes with the position, right? And when they were scoring 30 a game, it was because Tom Brady was great. Okay, that's fine. You're not going to get credit when they score 30, but you're going to get blamed when they score 17. Um, that's part of it, right? But, you know, I also think that if you just look at this offense and you really drill down and say, well, what's what's really missing? Well, they can't run the ball. Or why can't they run the ball? Because they're getting a lot of too deep safety. So that's usually they're inviting you to run. Well, the offensive line isn't very good. It's, it's schematically, they're, they're sort of predictable, right? They're running a very basic, a very old school, a lot of tells, you know, strong side, extra tight end, extra maybe an extra tight end, an extra offensive lineman. They got a fullback lead. He's taking you right to the ball carrier. So it's it's a little, you know, early 2000s football from a run schematic standpoint. You don't have a spread option quarterback, a guy that's going to threaten anybody. He's not going to pull the ball out of the running back's hands and, you know, run run around the edge. So, you know, but by the same token, they, they start talking about the lack of play action and how, well, if we can't run the football the defense doesn't honor the play action. Well, their own numbers disprove that. So I I think especially, you know, we saw the last couple drives of that game. That's sort of when they started moving very quickly. In those situations, I think Tom has it, right? Like they've they've repped these two-minute drills enough. He knows what, what to do. He's been in this situation a million times. He's the best quarterback of all time uh, in, in end-of-game situations. So he, he said the other night on his podcast, he goes, you know, well, the reason why um, I'm so effective is because I know what's going to happen. Their guess, they're trying to figure out what's going to happen, but I know what's going to happen because I've been in these situations so many times that I'm very calm about it. Um, I know we're going to move the ball. I know how we're going to move the ball. And then he goes out and he does it, and you, everybody sits back and goes, wow, that was incredible. Like, you know, how does this guy still get it done? But – that's kind of, you know, at that point, it's sort of out of Byron's hands a little bit, you know, because they've already done that work. They've already installed two-minute situations, end-of-game situations. They've repped that in practice. So at that point, you know, when you're going no huddle and tempo, um, Tom might have Byron in his ear for a couple seconds, but basically he's he's calling the shots and directing traffic out there. He knows what to do right up until the final play call. Like he looked over to the bench, and he called the play, and Byron kind of nodded and said, yeah, man, that's the one. Go for it. So, again, they were kind of in agreement. They were, they had that synergy. They had game plan together. They know what they liked in that situation. And the play action certainly worked. It sucked up. Everybody on the left side of the defense got caught, and Otten was able to sneak out you know, and, and circle out of the, the line of scrimmage for the easy touchdown. But So it's collaborative, um, and yet, you know, Tom getting rid of the ball so quickly is making it difficult. Too many short passes. They're not stretching the field, I think, because he's, he doesn't trust his protection. The, the Todd Bowles will not admit that, but it's obvious as, as anyone that, that has a chance to watch a game. You can see that defenses know that ball's coming out in under 
four or five seconds. And so they're, they're really, you know, they're sitting hard on those underneath routes and no one's getting any run after the catch. And so you have kind of this shrinking offense. And is that on Byron? I don't know that it is. You know, I mean, with every, every route concept, right, when you run a play, there's, there's going to be at least one or two downfield opportunities, right? And maybe they double a guy, and so, so you go to your next option, you go to your next read. But there's usually deep, intermediate, and short, right, on every route tree, every route concept when you got three, four, sometimes five receivers out. And so it's up to Brady who has the ball to decide where's my throw? You know, what, what throw do I want to make here? Do I got Mike Evans outside one-on-one? Can I move the safety? Can I, you know, or have I got this guy on a curl? Have I got this guy on a stick route? Like where, where is my best matchup? And then he gets, he, he determines, you know, where that is and he throws the ball there. And, and so it's hard to say, well, gosh, you know, that offense, they had, you know, three completions and they were still short of the first down marker. They were only like nine yards you know, is that on Byron? No, he, he drew up plays where there were downfield shots. Tom chose not to take them. And maybe the guys weren't open, um, but maybe he didn't feel like they could protect it either. So we don't know, you know, like exactly, okay, on this play, this was Tom. On this play, this was a lousy call by Byron, right? Just no way that was going to work. That's all on him. It really isn't like that. You know, it's, it's a, again, it's a collaborative effort. And Brady can check out of anything he wants to. Right, like if he sees a defense and, and this play is not going to work against this defense, you'll hear alert, 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 or you'll hear kill, kill, kill. He, he can, he has that option on every play, and 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 so you know at the end of the day, you know I always say this: he has the ball in his hands, and so what what ultimately happens is sort of his last. He's the last responsibility there with that. Um, but but you know it's the nature of the business. Byron's is going. Byron's going to wear it. And I would just say that it's it's collaborative, it's situational, and and probably more Tom's purview in the two-minute drill, something they've repped during the week, than it is Byron actually calling plays in that situation. All right, Paul had emailed you. He said, so funny how Tom Brady said he didn't care about players dropping balls, LOL. He just wants them to get open, and he will just keep giving them the ball. Bucks have got to infuse the younger players into the game plan, i.e. Otten, Miller, White, plus maybe players like Tompkins and Geiger. Miller needs to keep getting separation on the shorter routes rather than just running deep posts. Team needs to get some speed on the route tree. Bucks' normal routes are so predictable. And could someone block on the screens or maybe just run a jet sweep? Yeah, all good points. I mean, um, I go back to what Tom said a while ago. In a very lucid moment, he told people, um, listen, uh, I'm not upset with guys that drop balls and, 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 you know, but before that he had told someone or he had said publicly, he goes about 90% of what I say is complete BS. (laughs) So to me, what he said on the podcast about, he's not upset about guys dropping balls that falls in that 90 percentile, I think, uh, of, of untruth. Uh, Of course he cares because he has said if, if somebody's out here and drops, I mean, this is also what he has said. So believe Here's the thing I would say. Listen, you can believe the audio or the video. I always, when you're given a choice, believe the video, okay? If, if somebody drops a pass and, and he stays on the field and he drops another pass and he's still out there, Tom won't throw him the ball. And he has told coaches, you can put him out there. I'm not throwing that guy the ball, okay? So, of course it matters to him 
who produces and who doesn't and who does their job. Yeah, is is he right? Is it more frustrating if, you know, some guy doesn't know what he's doing and he runs the wrong route? Sure. And his point, I think it's a valid one, is that, you know, look, my guys could do everything perfect and they're wide open and I'm going to miss a throw here and there. I'm not perfect. I'm going to, you know, we're all, we're all going to do that. Like you, you can't come back on me and say, well, you know, gee, Tom had that guy open and he missed him, you know, high or he threw it in the ground or, you know, the guy had to make an unbelievable try at it. It should have been an easier throw. That's going to happen. And so from that standpoint, he's not trying to hold them to a higher standard than himself because he misses throws. So of course they're, they're not, they're human. They're going to drop balls. Right. Um, but I think it, it matters who drops them. In other words, you know, Mike Evans, he's had a ton of success with him. Mike is, you know, on a path to being maybe a Hall of Fame receiver. He's just shy of 10,000 yards. But, it, you know, am I going to stop throwing to Mike Evans if he drops the ball? No, because there's a track record there. And what Tom likes are guys that are got a track record that are consistent and, and i.e. older players and, and to almost to a fault because that's how you get Julio Jones. You know, that, that, that that's not healthy. And because he thought Julio could come in here and get him with TB12 and make him a new man and, and he could play a bunch of games, but that wasn't the case. Um, so the trust part of it, like he, he likes guys that know ball. He likes guys that have been in the arena before. It's very difficult with him and younger players because there's simply no way you can give a rookie the information that that he, he, he needs before he just keeps playing and is no longer a rookie again. And so... I believe that the guys that are playing are guys Tom wants out there. Also, we talked about this the other night. I think that Evans and Godwin are playing an incredible amount of snaps, and I think it's going to catch up to both of them before the year is over. I don't. To me, this is unsustainable. Um, I, I just think you can't. You have to use your whole roster. You know, you don't have that many players when you start talking about fifty-three guys, and you know. You know, I mean, you got 22 that start and, you know, another 11 that back them up. So, you know, and then you got, you know, a place kicker, a punter, a holder, a, a kick return specialist. So, you know, 53, now you're down four. So, you, you know, and, and before you before you know it, um, there's just not a lot of guys that are standing on the sideline. They they need to play. And, you know, that includes the, the third receiver, the elusive third receiver right now because they keep waiting for Julio to come back and be healthy. But he can't make it through a whole game without coming up lame somewhere um, during the game. He's not out there enough to make a lot of plays, not making a lot of plays. And so that keeps Scotty and Brashard Perriman and Jalen Darden and some of the guys that do have speed from being on the field. So at some point it's been by committee. They need to settle on a third receiver if, if, if that person is healthy. Uh, and they haven't done that, but I, I still, you know, I, I think it matters to Tom who drops footballs. So let's just put it that way. Um, one off here and there, you know, Scotty Miller's made a lot of plays for him. So what could he do? And, and Scotty was going to be open cause he's going to be single covering there playing off the receivers anyway, cause they didn't want a quick strike score with, with no timeouts and, and that little time on the clock. Um, so he went to him because the other two guys were, were sort of got draw a lot of a lot of attention. Um, but but he it does it does matter to Tom. But trust me, it matters. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, we'll switch to USF questions here. And Mike had tweeted us. He said, the problem with USF hiring John Gruden is if they want to be successful, they have to get Tony Dungy for five years first. That's a joke. Yeah, that, that, that's a little, kind of little humor <laughs> there right there. That means that, that, uh, that John can only be successful if he follows Dungy. Um, that debate goes rages on. I, you know, the more I've thought about it and – I know, you know, John's name got out there pretty quickly, which leads you to believe that, you know, somebody at USF or Boosters or someone uh, wants it out there. And maybe maybe John's interested. I He didn't tell me. I asked, and I didn't get a response about that. Um, I, I don't, I just, I have no way of knowing if that's, if that's real. You know what I'm saying? Like, I really don't know what's, the, the only one that knows is Michael Kelly, right? Um, the guy that's making the decision. He's the one that's had the list long before. I mean, do they do they really think that when the season started, it wasn't a possibility that they would have to fire their head coach? Of course they did. So anybody in management, and you know this, Steve, you, you lose, you know, your talk show host one day for whatever reason. You better have a list of other guys you're going to call. And so that's the, you know that's the athletic director's job with every sport. He's got to have a list of names of, of people that he thinks are suitable. Um, candidates for the position should somebody leave, get promoted, go to someplace else, Power 5 school, get sick, whatever. Any number of things can happen. I just don't know that where John Gruden would have fallen on that list. You know what I'm saying? Like, Because it's a lot, right? It's a lot because of what's gone on with him from a personal standpoint and professional standpoint, um, losing his gig with, with, the, uh, with the Raiders out in Las Vegas, you know, the text messages, all of that. Um, he's not coached college football. And then it's against, it's about right now and what's best for USF right now. Maybe that's Gruden. Maybe that's, uh, uh, another coach that's done it at the collegiate level that wants to take this as a kind of a step up. Maybe it's a guy coming from power five. That's like Scott Frost that we talked about. Um, it's whatever they think USF needs at this time. And only one guy can get the job. So that may not be John Gruden. I don't, like I said, I don't really know um, that John's interested. I don't know that he's not, but I don't know that he is. So a lot of people talk about John for used to for every job, including the Bucks job that was here before he, he took the the Raiders gig for the second time. Um, you know, so John's kind of a mysterious dude, and right now he's got a lot of other issues going on, lawsuits against the NFL, all that. I. I I don't know if that's ever really serious or if it's just people wishful thinking on some people's parts or draft, you know, kind of a draft John Gruden movement, if you will. I just don't know where it stands. All right, Carl had tweeted us. He actually has a couple different questions. We'll do this one first. How long do you think Mike Kelly and the university administration has been talking dismissal as a real possibility during the season? Kelly had to have a list in his head. Is the admin savvy enough to have back-channel working candidates like the Glazers do, big game hunters? Like I said, I think we just kind of addressed that a little bit in the answer. I think, yeah, you always, 
you always have to have it. I mean, going into the season, what what number would Mike Kelly have been happy with, right? Or what what progress was he looking for on the field? There comes a point where, hey, they played BYU really tough, or hey, you know, they played this opponent, they were close here. And that's fine if you see it consistently, if you see that mm-hmm. week in, week out, if there's not a fallback to where you go up to Temple and get the snot beat out of you by a bad football team um, that everybody else is running over. Um, and, and so I, you know, I don't know when they entered the season. There certainly wasn't a lot of wins on Jeff Scott's resume. He needed some, he needed, but more than that, he needed to show the progress and the trajectory that of the program was getting better. The guys were still buying in that um, the, the players he selected and more importantly, the coaching staff knew what they were doing and putting these guys in position to win. And, you know, that was always a possibility that it wouldn't happen is starting the season that it might not happen. So going back to last year, I mean, you know, there was some debate whether Scott would even get this season to, to try to straighten it out. I mean, you know, that, that wasn't a guaranteed thing. And so, yeah, I mean, Mike would have, would have known for a while and, and again, compiled that list and go through back channels about, you know, uh, you know, what's going on with this candidate at this program and kind of monitor how they do at their current jobs and, you know, who else is added to that mix? If Scott Frost is fired from Nebraska, does he become a candidate? Did you know that going into this season that Nebraska would uh, start out as poorly as they did and fire him right away? I mean, you didn't know that, right? But you might have had him on the list in case that happened because he was going to have a very, you know, make it or break it year at Nebraska. So, all that due diligence and all that work has to be done. Um, but how deep you drill on it, are you talking to their agents? Are you talking to their representatives? Are you talking to people around them to kind of gauge interest and in going through back channels? Like there's just a lot, you know, because you don't want to, you don't want any of that to get out and, and kind of kneecap your current head coach. You know, you don't want the coaching staff to feel like, oh, well, these guys are already in it for so-and-so. And it happens in the NFL a lot right? Like it happened to Tony Dungy. Um, and I wrote the story two weeks before he played his playoff game. The last game he coached here for the, against the Philadelphia Eagles, they had a, a secret agreement with Bill Parcells done locked up. The only thing that would have changed it. If, if Dungy beat the Eagles, went to the Super Bowl, and maybe even had, had to win it, win it. But that was, you know, and, and, and believe me, knowing those teams, Philadelphia was going to roll them and they did. Um, so that was a remote possibility, even though Tony made the playoffs, but, you know, that that got out and you don't want that to happen, you know, because then you look bad. The candidate looks bad uh, at that time. Parcells worked for ESPN. But let's say he worked for another football team in the NFL. It's tampering. But in college football, it's not much better. So you got to be really careful um, with when you strike, who you talk to, when you talk to them. Uh, everybody will know, I think, you know more information than we have now when, when Mike Kelly gets serious about a candidate. I think we'll all kind of know that. I think it'll get out. There'll be meetings. There'll be, you know, right now it's just groomers, right, with John Gruden. That's all it is, is groomers. And we've been down this road before with the Bucks and a lot of pe- a lot of different uh, places. But, um, yeah, I, I, I would be very surprised if there isn't a short list of about five names and any of those five had a legit chance of being the head coach of the Bulls. I had a buddy ask me, how would this season have been different for USF, and would they have made a change 
if they had held on and beat Florida. And if everything else held on to was who? the same. If they beat Florida. If USF went I to think Gainesville. I think it changes everything. Mm-hmm. I think it changes perception of a lot of things. I mean, even if everything else stayed the same afterwards. Get blown out by Louisville. Well, you know, I ECU. mean, that part would have been bad, and, mm-hmm. and, and you just said, why couldn't you build off, off a, a, a monumental win for the program? But those kind of wins are what – here's the thing. If they'd have beaten Florida, is it likely that all of this would have transpired the way it did? I don't think so. No, probably not. I, I, I've always said, and I'll continue to say this, games in football, most of them are lost, not won, okay? But – Games have momentum. It's the same thing with a season, man. You know, it just is. You'll get a signature win like that, and all of a sudden, the players feel different about themselves, right? All of a sudden, they're the buy-in. And that's the thing, man. It's the buy-in. All of a sudden, the buy-in is so much bigger, right? And you'd say, well, you played so well against Florida, those players should have bought in after that because they, they hung in there. But then they're, they're looking at their coaches going, well, why couldn't you help us get, get over the hump? How come we couldn't get the dub? You know what I mean? Like we did all this work and we, we outplayed them, but we still didn't get the dub. And they can probably look to five or six coaching decisions that they're looking, you know, well, you know, Coach Scott and the staff had done this, put us in this position. So that, it's just different, man. Like you need that momentum, especially for a new coaching staff or at least one that hasn't won, hasn't beaten an FBS school. To go up the road – and, and and I don't care how good Florida is or isn't right now. I don't care that they have a new head coach. But to go up there and knock off, you know, the the biggest brand in college football in the state, that carries a lot of weight, man. That gets you a long, long way, you know, as far as momentum goes. We saw it with Jimmy Levitt. We've seen it, um, you know, in the past over there at USF in, in a lot of different regimes, actually. So – Willie Taggart had some big wins. I mean, those things go a long way. So I, I don't think you can say if everything would have stayed the same because I don't think anything would have stayed the same. doesn't mean that they would have had five or six wins right now, but I just think it would have been a different conversation for sure. Great mailbag questions. You don't have to wait for a mailbag. You can send those to us anytime. You can do that on Twitter at SportsDayTV. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. My email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We're going to be talking a little more college football this week, I'm sure, with Matt Baker at some point. I'm headed off to Munich. Steve, can you believe it? I'm going to another country to watch the Buccaneers play first game, first NFL regular season game in Germany, which is uh, going to be unique. So we'll have more, of course, from the Bucs at One Buck Place as they prepare for that long trip, see if they can build on that win that they had uh, just this past Sunday over the Los Angeles Rams. Thanks for listening. For Steve Burstnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tempe Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.